uh, today we want to talk uh, briefly about uh, Purim, the holiday of uh, Purim, the Feast of uh, Esther. Uh, technically, we would call it the Feast of Lots because that's what Purim actually means. It's even in the text. Uh, pur, Purim is plural. Pur is lot, lots. And that was the uh, picking the picking the day, you know, that the Jews would be exterminated. Uh, and that's how we get uh, the, the name of the holiday. Uh, and uh, it's been celebrated uh, uh, for, you know, close to 2,500 years. Uh, and uh, just as it says at the end of the book, that year after year, the Jewish people are, are to remember it and celebrate it. And if you have celebrated Purim, you are a link in a chain that goes back thousands of years. Uh, you know, and uh, we all have, every generation has the responsibility of moving it forward. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, you're all part of that, uh, being part of uh, this messianic uh, Jewish uh, Jewish community. Okay, so there's a few things we want to say about Esther. Okay, uh, we're not going to do a study of the whole book of Esther or anything like that, but just point out uh, some important truths uh, about Esther. You know, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, and we learned this in our MSI course on the prophets and and, uh, and on the writings, the way we teach it, is Esther is located in the third part of the, of the uh, Hebrew Scriptures called the writings. And that's where you have the post-exile books, uh, as well as uh, the book of Ruth, uh, and uh, uh, we have chronicles there uh, as well, and historical books, that's where the wisdom literature uh, is, uh, uh, the, the poetry and and things of that nature. If you want to know why that is, well, MS, you got to take the MSI course on writings. Uh, you'll you'll uh, learn all about it. Okay. Uh, but first of all, uh, uh, Esther. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Esther. Nobody knows. Okay. The Talmud attributes it to the men of the great synagogue, uh, which is uh, rather interesting. That, that could be. It's post-exile. It's a post-exile book. Uh, quite, uh, uh, quite clearly, uh, rivaling the time of Malachi. I mean, it is very, it is very late because it takes, it takes place after the Babylonian captivity. The king, Ahasuerus, and I can never say it in English because it's, well, it's irrelevant how it's pronounced in English, but, but uh, Ahasuerus is uh, the king's name. And uh, most believe that that is Xerxes I, who would be the son of Darius, okay? Uh, in the uh, Septuagint, uh, uh, it has Artaxerxes in there. Uh, but uh, uh, conventional wisdom is, is that it is uh, Xerxes. Uh, and uh, now, of course, Josephus, he attributes it to Mordechai, okay? So there you go. Josephus attributes it to Mordechai. Uh, you know, if you know anything about the Talmud and Josephus, you'd think it would be the other way around. <laughs> Frankly, you would think that the Talmud would attribute it to Mordecai and that Josephus would attribute it to the men of the great assembly. <laughs> Just knowing, uh, knowing Josephus <laughs> and knowing the Talmud, but that's the other way around. 
Uh, conventional wisdom is that it was written around 400 BCE. Uh, and of course, everybody knows the word God. God is not present. But you want to know something interesting about Esther? Uh, of course, the Hebrew text, I would suggest, is the earliest text and, and the text that, that was uh, um, welcomed into the canon of Scripture. Okay, But uh, subsequent to the Hebrew text, you have the Septuagint text. And you read about God all over the Septuagint text in, uh, in Esther. Uh, it's almost like um, a little bit of a, like a commentary you know, on Esther. And, and it's a lot longer, too, uh, just um, for your information. But the Hebrew text is what we have in our, you know, in our Bibles. And, um, and so the word God is not present, uh, which is interesting. Uh, it does serve a function in that way. You want to remember that the, uh, the story takes place, very interestingly, in Persia during the time when Jews could have been, when Jews were returning to Judea. It's after the captivity. Uh, Esther and Mordechai were not held in captivity in Persia. They chose to stay. I mean, it's an argument from silence. We don't know why they stayed. But, it, uh, you know, they're there. They're they're in Shushan, they're in Persia. Uh, and again, it, this, is, this is really uh, a very early diaspora writing. Uh, you know, there was never really a diaspora, in other words, a Jewish community outside of Israel, until the Babylonian captivity, right? And so when the Jewish people returned after the Babylonian captivity, the majority, the vast majority of Jews stayed behind, did not come back. The vast majority of Jews now lived outside of the land, hence the diaspora. Uh, and that refers to Jews living outside of Eretz Yisrael. And so it's very interesting. Uh, the story of Esther uh, it takes place outside of the land. So it could be that we don't read God's name because it takes place outside uh, of the land. But one of the great things that we learn uh, and that the Jewish, that the Jewish people learned uh, is, is that even after the Babylonian captivity, and even though Jewish people did not return to the land of Israel, they're still Israel. They, they are still Israel. That was very important. This was, you know, this period of time was kind of an insecure time uh, for uh, the Jewish world because it was all uncharted waters. There had never been a, a captivity like this before, and there had never been an end to it and people coming back, but, but the majority of people living outside the land. Questions uh, were, are we still the chosen people? Does God still have his hand on us? That's, by the way, what's going on in the book of uh, First and Second Chronicles. Uh, actually, it's a series of sermons uh, encouraging the people that they still are, were the chosen people, even after this terrible, terrible captivity when they had to leave the land. So what we learn here, among many other things, is that the Jewish people are one. There's one Jewish people, whether, whether we live in Eretz Yisrael or we live in Columbus, Ohio, uh, or we live, uh, you know, in uh, uh, um, wherever we may be, South America, Asia, Europe, uh, there is one Jewish people. 
Uh, there may be, uh, you know, different, uh, uh, different kinds of Jewish people in certain respects, but one Jewish people. The unity of Israel is, is uh, very much uh, in play in the story uh, of uh, the story of, of Esther. And I believe that, uh, you know, uh, most of us are familiar with the story, right? You just have to read uh, the book of Esther. We know that uh, the king uh, needed a new queen. Esther becomes the queen. She is a Jew. And we know that uh, Haman uh, comes into power under, the, under, the, uh, under Ahasuerus, under the king. Uh, and uh, that he decides uh, that he wants to exterminate the Jewish people. The king signs an edict to do so. Mordechai finds out about it. He tells Esther, you got to do something. And uh, in chapter 4, of course, he, he convinces her to, to uh, act, and she does. Uh, Haman dies. The Jewish people are saved. Uh, and uh, God uh, protects the Jewish people in, in, uh, in a fantastic way. Uh, a new cookie is invented, uh, and uh, we enjoy eating it. Okay, how's that for uh, the, uh, the, story of, uh, the story of Esther? So what do we do at Purim? I know that some of our, um, some of our people uh, here, some of you may not be familiar with the holiday of Purim, you may know about the book of Esther, but you're not familiar with the holiday. So what do we do? We read the book of Esther. That's one thing we do is we read the book of Esther. And when, um, oh, oh well. When we come to uh, Haman's name, uh, we, I thought I brought one out here. We, uh, we make a lot of noise, right? Uh, and uh, we use something called a grogger. And if you were here with us on Thursday night, we were booing, we were using our groggers, we were making a lot of noise, and the idea is to stamp out Haman's name, to stamp out uh, Haman's name. We dress in costumes, right? Costumes of all kinds, uh, and uh, oftentimes we have a play. That's what spiel is. It's Yiddish, right? A Purim spiel, Purim play. Uh, and uh, always fun, you know, always uh, fun, uh, and uh, creative. Sometimes there are carnivals, and that's something that we uh, do every year, is we have a Purim carnival. It's really a fun time. And, of course, hamantaschen. We eat, uh, we eat uh, hamantaschen. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, you know, what do we learn uh, from this holiday? What do we learn about uh, uh, the book of uh, Esther? You know, uh, one, of the one of the great lessons, I think, that we learn from the uh, story of Esther, from the book of Esther, uh, is uh, that God, in a, in a way that we do not completely understand, partners with his people to move history forward, right? Uh, because what we see in the book of Esther is uh, clearly God is present you know, as a lot of people like to say, God is on every page in the story of Esther. Yes, indeed, he is, right? We see the invisible hand of God. That's called the providence of God. God acting through second causes, through other, through other, through other people. God acting, bringing about his will through other people, whether they realize it, whether they realize it or not. Very much like in the death of Yeshua, right? 
uh, 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 Pontius Pilate did not realize the role that he was playing. The, the, uh, the Jewish authorities did not realize the role that they were playing in this. And in the book of Acts, it's called the predetermined plan of God. Uh, that, that is a pretty straightforward language. Yet at the very same time, people made real choices and real decisions uh, to bring it forth. And uh, in our prophets class at MSI, we learned last week that, wow, the prophets, they were pretty unique in that they had access, you know, to the very uh, throne room of God, one might say, uh, and, um, and could argue the case for the, the people and and God would listen. One of the most famous places there is Amos in the seventh chapter, where uh, Amos says to God, stop, you know, stop. They can't take it anymore. Uh, you know, Judea is too small of a, of, of a place and too small of a people. And then the Bible says God relented. Uh, and so, you know, uh, it's really uh, fascinating. And that's kind of like what's going on in the, in the story of, uh, of Esther where uh, we have history taking place. And what's, what, what differentiates the story of Esther from other places in the Tanakh, like First and Second Samuel or First and Second Kings, is that, uh, th- or Joshua or, or Judges, is that those are written from the point of view of theological history, of the history of God's interaction. The, the, in the book of Esther, you have a different perspective. It's coming from a different point of view, a different point of view. It's coming from the point of view just of the people, the horizontal point of view. Uh, And that is bad things are happening. We have to do something about it. We know that help is going to come because, uh, uh, you know, God has an unconditional covenant with the uh, people uh, of Israel and, uh, uh, and and there you go. Uh, uh, God, you know, God is going to uh, God is going to uh, redeem us. But notice that Mordechai did not just go into a corner uh, and fast and pray uh, and and hope for the best. Uh, but we know that uh, when Esther uh, was the queen, uh, that he knew uh, exactly what to do. And it's in the fourth in the fourth chapter. It's probably the most famous part of the of the uh, book of uh, the book of Esther. It's when, when uh, 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 Mordechai explains uh, about the possible extermination uh, of the, uh, of the Jewish people. Okay. And uh, we read here in chapter four, uh, first uh, Esther uh, says she can't do anything. Right. So this is how she responds to Mordechai. First, it's in verse 11 of chapter 4. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king these 30 days. In other words, she's passive. I, she's, I, I, I can't do anything. Given the situation, there's nothing I can do. Okay. Mordecai is not going to uh, take this. Mordecai replies back to Esther do, in, in verse 13. Do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. 
For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish, which he was indeed part of, by the way. Uh, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. So what Mordechai is saying, you know, it, it seems now that this has all taken place, you know, he, what he's basically saying is, you know, Esther, I was pacing back and forth, and I was really worried about you being taken by the king. And then when you were chosen to be queen, you know, I was, uh, I, I was very upset. And we read that in chapter 2. We don't have time to turn there, but, but Mordecai paced back and forth wondering what had happened to Esther, right? But now that this situation has arisen, he looks back and he can see the hand of God on the whole thing. And now he knows, Esther, you have attained royalty for such a time as this. He's not presumptuous. He says, who knows whether you have attained royalty for such a time as this, right? I, you know, he was a human being like you and me. He wasn't being presumptuous, but it all seemed this way to be, right? Uh, and what happens now is this touches the heart of Esther. Has, Esther has an encounter with God now. Through the words of Mordecai, she has an encounter with God. And isn't it true that many times when we have an encounter with God, it's not just us sitting in a room alone uh, by ourselves and praying, but oftentimes someone says a word to us. Someone speaks into our heart. Someone speaks into our life. At the right word at just the right moment. And it's like the, what we would call the big wow, you know, that, wow, something has taken place here, you know, like the scales have come off my eyes. I see what's going on. I would say that when the good news of Yeshua was shared with me. Uh, and maybe you had that experience too, that the, it's like the scales came off the eyes and now I can see clearly. And so how does Esther respond? She says, go as... It's amazing. She first, you know, for the first four chapters, she doesn't, the first three and a half chapters, she doesn't speak. You ever notice that? There's no word of Esther of when she's taken into the harem, when she's taken before the queen, the king, when she becomes the, the queen. We don't read her speaking. And then the first time we read her speaking is when she says, Mordecai, there's nothing I can do. Now, Mordecai speaks to her again and boom. She has an encounter with God. She discovers her divine destiny. She discovers now. It becomes clear to her who she is and what her calling is. And so what does she say? Now she's like the quarterback of the team, right? Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Shushan. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens will also fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, who is, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. In other words, I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to do what I have to do. Uh, we're going to fast. Uh, we're going to pray. You fast. You pray. Uh, and uh, and, uh, and, uh, and if I perish, I, I perish. Wow. We see the courage of this woman. What a, what a story about a courageous woman uh, who does the right thing in the moment, right? She has an encounter with God. Uh, and you know, it's kind of interesting. 
We read in the book of Hebrews, in the third chapter, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. Partakers of a heavenly heavenly calling. Uh, We are partakers of a heavenly calling, right? And that is uh, the calling of Yeshua. We are called, uh, you know, to be intercessors. We are called uh, to demonstrate the reality of Yeshua, to share the good news of Messiah Yeshua with people, to to live out uh, the, the messianic way of life, i.e. the Torah way of life filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. That is, uh, we're called to be a light in the midst of darkness. The, and, uh, and so we can really learn a lot here from Esther. Uh, we need to realize and remember that we have a divine mandate. We have a calling on our lives to, uh, it, throughout our lives to, to demonstrate this. Because, you know, there's always going to be uh, darkness until the, until the Messiah returns. It's always going to be light and darkness. Uh, and throughout history, the story of, of Esther has, has uh, motivated the Jewish people to never lose hope and to adapt to uh, situations and uh, uh, to never give up and never lose hope. Uh, because uh, even though when we, we live outside of the land of Israel, there is uh, anti-Jewish sentiment in lots of places, but we know who we are and we know what that calling is. Uh, and, uh, and you know, Mordecai realized that he was not the one to go to the king, but indeed it was Esther. And what's also interesting is that Esther is very shrewd. Remember what she says to the king? You know, if you were just going to make us slaves, I wouldn't even bother you. But because it has to do with extermination, I'm bothering you. And so, uh, you know, I think that actually speaks a lot, that uh, while we may uh, not like uh, everything going on around us, uh, you know that Esther uh, recognized this has to do with the very existence of our people, not whether we're taken advantage of or made fun of or uh, this or that, but we're talking about here the ultimate, right? Extermination. She goes to the king and we know what happens. So, you know, so we have all of that. The, we have the, uh, the invisible hand of God and covenant faithfulness, right? The invisible hand of God and covenant faithfulness. Covenant faithfulness on the part of those who are in the covenant with God. We are called to live faithfully, uh, which means to have clarity, have discernment, uh, and there are times to act, and there are times not to. Uh, uh, and, you know, you also have here the value of prayer and fasting, uh, very importantly, and being proactive in our walk with God. And in the 21st century, we have many choices and many situations uh, that are going on in our world. Uh, and may we realize that God is at work. Uh, in the decisions that we make. May we be proactive. May we realize uh, that we uh, are not just passive followers of Yeshua. We are not called to simply be passive followers of Yeshua, but active followers of Yeshua. Shall I say spiritual activists 
uh, before a God in this world. Well, one last thing I, I, I want to point out about uh, this story of, um, of Esther is that you know that Haman, Haman is an interesting uh, person. Uh, you know, if Haman was living today, uh, he might say, you know, I'm going to check out my ancestors. I'm going to go to ancientancestry.com uh, and uh, figure out uh, where I come from. Well, Haman, very interestingly, I mean, he's this person no one ever heard of in history before or after, uh, and he's there in Persia, but we read that he is an Agagite, an Agagite, an Agagite. What does that mean? Uh, well, uh, if you go back in history uh, to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15, it is kind of interesting uh, actually, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, if you go all the way back farther, even into the Torah, in Numbers chapter 24, uh, where, uh, of all people, Balaam is giving a messianic prophecy, he mentions Agag in Numbers 24, 7. It says, water will flow from his buckets. This is um, um, speaking of Israel. Uh, water will flow from his buckets, and his seed will be many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag. Isn't that interesting? And his kingdom shall be exalted. And that's the first place we read about Agag, okay? Agag was an Amalekite, was an Amalekite, all right? Uh, and in 1 Samuel chapter 15, that is where uh, Saul... Uh, is uh, disobedient and uh, doesn't slay the king, uh, the king of the Amalekites, who was Agag. And, uh, okay? Uh, and uh, so in chapter 15, we read here, Saul explains it. He says he let him live. And then it says in verse 21 of 1 Samuel 15, But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying or hearing the voice of the Lord? Oh, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is the fat of rams. Okay, so you know what's really interesting about this? If you look back and you look at Mordechai's ancestry, you see that he is actually related to Saul. And you look at Haman's ancestry, and you see that he's uh, uh, related to Agag, and, uh, who was from the Amalekites. And so the point here is, uh, is that the ancient enemy of Israel continues to live. In one form or another, ancient, you know, the ancient enemies. Uh, live and that God promised victory. And remember that He said, "Never forget about Amalek. Never forget the Amalekites." You read that in Deuteronomy, uh, uh, chapter uh, very, very importantly in chapter twenty-five uh, of uh, of uh, uh, Deuteronomy, to never forget the um, uh, about the Amalekites and what they did, going all the way back to the Red Sea. Uh, and, uh, and so here we see it playing out that God is faithful and he remains faithful to this day. And as we know, uh, you know, uh, nothing can separate us 
uh, as Messiah followers, nothing can separate us uh, from uh, the, uh, the love of God. God remains faithful. There may be enemies, uh, but it's very interesting. Uh, if you look in the Brit Hadashah, when you think about Paul, and you think about him being sort of like a Mordechai figure, uh, uh, that he cared deeply for his people, and he knew that, uh, uh, you know, and he had a heart to, uh, bring re- to, to bring the message of Messiah to his people. And I always find it fascinating uh, what, uh, what he says here. You know, the very end of Romans 8, nothing can separate us from God, nothing. You know, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. I am telling the truth in Messiah. I am not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from the Messiah for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What he, what he is saying is he would do anything to uh, bring the uh, deliverance uh, to Israel in Messiah Yeshua. So since the coming of the Messiah, we know that he is indeed our king. We know that uh, we, are, uh, we have a holy calling. We partake in a heavenly calling. And our calling today primarily is again to bring the good news, to be emissaries to this world of Messiah Yeshua for the deliverance of Israel uh, and uh, the nations. And so may we be encouraged by the story of Esther that we all have a divine destiny and we all have a heavenly calling. It's not just about what can God do for me or fix me or give me. It is where can I serve him? Where can I uh, be an Esther? Where can I be a Mordechai? What a timely word for us indeed today. All right, let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you for uh, the story of Esther. Thank you, God, that even though we have the godless, we might say the godless Amalekites, even to this day, uh, whether spiritually or physically, whatever it may be, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us an armor to wear. You have given us victory. Lord, you have given us words of encouragement. Thank you, uh, uh, God, that uh, while there may be Xerxes, there may be Ahasuerus in this world, there may be empires, and there may be kings who come against us, thank you that our king is king of the world. And uh, God, may we always have our eyes fixed on Yeshua Uh, the King of Israel uh, and the nations. And Lord, we pray, God, that the day would indeed come soon when you would return, sit on your throne in Yerushalayim, Lord, and may uh, swords be turned into plowshares. Lord, we look forward to that day. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.